I want to invite you to open to your Bibles to Psalm 139, that psalm that we just sang together, a portion of Psalm 139. We're coming to the close of our summer series in the Psalms. Uh, next Lord's Day, God willing, will be our final sermon in the Psalms from Pastor Taylor. And today we'll consider Psalm 139, a beautiful psalm of David that reflects the personal care and love and intimacy of our God that he has with us. You could find it on page 974 in your pew Bible, Psalm 139, beginning with the superscription for the director of music of David, a psalm. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would, be, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God! Away from me, you bloodthirsty men! They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved, this is the word of the Lord. One of the greatest longings of the human heart is to be known and to be loved by another person. You know, before the fall of mankind into sin in Genesis chapter 2, our first parents, Adam and Eve, lived in paradise and they lived before God and before one another, fully known and fully loved. They lived what the Bible calls naked and unashamed lives before each other. 
They were naked before each other, not only physically, but emotionally and spiritually. They knew each other fully, and they loved each other deeply. But after the fall of man into sin, and when sin entered the picture, human beings began to hide from God and began to hide from one another in their shame. Remember how after the fall, Adam and Eve covered themselves with fig leaves and they hid from God and from one another in the bushes. And because of sin, beloved, we too hide from each other and we hide from God. We pretend, we put on masks, we put on fronts, we try to protect ourselves from other people. We struggle, don't we, to give ourselves to other people, whether it be in a Christian fellowship setting or in marriage or in friendship. We struggle to really open up to other people because we're nervous. If they truly know us, will they love us? Nevertheless, beloved, that desire to be truly known and truly loved remains with all of us. And beloved in the Lord, in this psalm, we are told that God not only knows us thoroughly, but that he loves us completely. Nothing about us is hidden from his sight, and there's nowhere where we can escape from his holy presence, but in Jesus Christ, he looks upon us in love and in mercy. And this knowledge causes David to praise God and to marvel at who he is. And this morning, we want to join in that marvel with David. We want to look at four different sections of this psalm as we meditate upon it. There's four sections that show us the character of God in our response. The first three reveal the character of God. And these are big theological words, but we're going to unpack them in the psalm. You might have heard them before. The first thing that we see about God is his omniscience. The second thing we see is his omnipresence. The third thing we see is God's omnipotence. And then we see David's petition in light of these things. And so, beloved, let's look at our first point as David marvels at who God is. And first, we're told about God's omniscience. David says, notice in verse 1, you have searched me and you know me. Omniscience means that God knows all things. Children, God knows all things. In the words of one scholar by the name of A.W. Pink, he says, God knows everything, everything possible, everything actual, all events, all creatures of the past, present, future. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail in the life of every being in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Nothing escapes his notice. Nothing can be hidden from him. Nothing is forgotten by him. He never errs never changes, and never overlooks anything. Beloved, God has never learned anything. Many of you children are going to school to acquire knowledge. Well, God never had to develop in his mental capacities. God has never said, Eureka, I've discovered something new. He is never surprised. He is never caught off guard. He knows all things at all times perfectly. And notice for David, God's omniscience is not some abstract doctrine, but it is a practical truth that comforts him. Because God doesn't know all things in general simply, but he knows his children. David says, you have searched me, and you know me. What does God know about David, and what does God know about us? 
Well, David tells us God knows about our ordinary day-to-day lives. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. God is connected with our daily tasks, beloved. We might feel forgotten in the mundane things of our life, like caring for children in the home, going to school, going to work. But God sees us and God cares for us. Remember the story of Hagar from Genesis chapter 16. She became pregnant, you might remember, instead of Sarai, Abram's wife. And she flaunted her pregnancy in front of Sarai. And Sarai became angry. Sarai began to persecute Hagar. So Hagar fled to the wilderness. But God sought out Hagar. And he assured her of his blessing. And he promised that she would have a son named Ishmael. And Hagar rejoiced because God visited her in her affliction. And she said this in Genesis 16, You are the God of seeing, for truly I have seen him who looks after me. Well, for David, God had seen him through every season of life. God saw David in seasons of persecution, as we've thought about. He saw David in times of repentance when he was humbled to the dust. He saw David in beautiful times of worship. And notice this psalm is given to the director of music, to the choir master, because this is a psalm that we'd be taught to all of God's people, reminding Israel, reminding the church that God sees all of us as well, not just David, but you. Whether you are in a season of prosperity today, rejoicing, or whether you're in a season of poverty today, God sees you. He knows your paths. He knows your thoughts. He knows the words on your tongue. He knows what's going through your mind right now. And the question is, how does that reality not frighten us to death? (laughs) Right? It should humble us, the all-knowing nature of God, but, but how does this reality not frighten us to death that God sees everything? Well, look at verse five. We see comfort here. David says, you have laid your hand upon me. That is the language associated with God's blessing. That God lays his hand, his blessing upon his children. You see, apart from that truth, we would be terrified by God's all-knowing nature. But we are comforted today, beloved, that if we trust in Jesus Christ, God sees us in compassion. Ephesians 1, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing, blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Therefore, God knows us sympathetically as a father knows and cares for his children. David says, you are the one who hedges me in behind and before, verse five. So notice David is marveling at this truth. God, you knew everything about me. You knew about my adultery with Bathsheba. You knew about the murder of Uriah. You knew how I betrayed your people. Lord, you knew I failed you. Yet, Lord, you have still loved me. You still cared for me in every season of life. And why is that? Because God bestowed upon David the blessing of his covenant love, a love that was secured and grounded in David's greater son, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so David marvels and says, verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. As we heard in the call to worship, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. He's not like us. 
He's a being wholly different from us. But there's great comfort in this, beloved. God knows us. He knows our past. He knows our sins. He knows our temptations. Yet he has set his love upon sinners like us in Jesus Christ. And today, if we're anxious about the future, and we're anxious because we don't know all things, we don't know how the future will look for us, we could put our trust in the God who knows all things perfectly and who is acquainted with all of our ways. And we could worship him. We can say with Paul from Romans eleven thirty three, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways! And so we see God's omniscience and how it comforts David. He knows all things. But notice the second point. God's omnipresence. This means that God is everywhere present. We see this in verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? God not only knows all things, but he fills all things. Because God is everywhere present we can be confident that we are never alone. God is near to his children. David says again, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? These are words, beloved, that have comforted Christians in so many various ages of church history. And David doesn't ask this question because he wants to flee from God or he wants to escape him. No, he is simply marveling at this reality that everywhere he tries to go, God will be there. And I want you to see in the scriptures, notice, he gives us three different escape routes. <laughs> and he shows us, look, if I tried to escape you in any of these three ways, I would still see your comprehensive care and your presence would be there. Verse 8, if I go up or down, you're there. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the depths, the word here is sheol in other translations. David says you're there. And that's an amazing reality because in the Hebrew world, people associated Sheol with the place of nothingness. It was the place of the grave or the place of the dead. There's no praise of God in Sheol, the people thought. But God is there too. He is present even in that place of the dead. Not only is he present, but think about how our Lord Jesus understands this. He experienced death as a true man. He knows the place of the grave because he experienced it for those three days after his crucifixion. Christ experienced all that we would experience as human beings, including death. And he conquered it. So David says, if I go up or down, you're there. And notice verse 9, if I go east or west, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning, he says, and try to escape in that direction, you're there. David is saying pretty much, if I try to outrun you, God, at the speed of light, I cannot escape you. Right? The speed of light is fast. I looked it up preparing this sermon. 186,000 miles per second is the speed of light. And David is saying, even if I could go that fast, I could not outrun you. God fills up all the space between the east and the west. You know, think of Jonah, who tried to escape when God called him to preach in Nineveh and to call them to repentance, he tried to outrun God and he tried to escape God's call. But what happened? He ended up in the belly of a great fish. But even from the depths of the great fish, 
where Jonah prayed and Jonah called out to God, God was there. And God heard his prayer for deliverance. So if I go up or down, David says, you're there. If I go east or west, you're there. And lastly, notice the other thing he says. He says, even if I'm covered by darkness, you are with me. In verse 11 there, the darkness refers to all the powers of evil, sin, Satan, death, and the powers of hell. And as we've been working through the Psalter, we've been reminded that David has gone through dark times. There were times when he was greatly afflicted. Psalm 22, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 10, why are you standing so far away? Psalm 13, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Like Job of old, David had been afflicted by many bitter providences, and he lost those things that were precious to him. But here, notice, beloved, towards the end of the Psalter, as he looks back on all of the darkness of his life, he's saying that even in the darkness, God, your presence has been with me, and you have transformed my darkness into light. Why? Verse 12, for even the night shall be light about me, because the dark is not dark to you. Praise God for that. The dark is not dark for God. You know, children, when we have to go into a room and it's dark, maybe at nighttime, we have to turn on the lights in order to have the light illumine that dark room. But when God goes into a dark place, he is the light. His presence is light and life. And so when he comes into those dark situations of our life, his presence brings light and comfort. So David says, Lord, even if I'm covered in the darkness of my sin, or I'm covered in the darkness of this fallen world, or I'm covered in the darkness of bad circumstances, Lord, you will be there with me to uphold me and to guide me. Beloved, even the darkness cannot hide us from God. And as Christians, we know the light of God's presence, ultimately in Jesus Christ. Think about this. The God who is everywhere present became local. He became a baby in the darkness of Mary's womb for nine months. The light of the world came. And at the end of the life of our Lord Jesus, the light of the world was covered in the darkness of our sin. Our sins were laid upon Jesus at the cross as he paid for him. The powers of evil conspired against us against him for our sake. And this was so that Jesus could secure for us salvation and he could secure for us God's love so that we could know that in every season of our life, the darkness will not cover us from God, but he will be with us to deliver us. Romans 8, because God gave over his own son, nothing in heaven or on earth can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knows all things. God is everywhere present. And then David says a third thing here that brings him comfort, beloved. God created him. There's two words here that are connected in this text that show God's power. The one that we might know that's common is omnipotence. He's all-powerful. But there's another word connected with that, omnificence. And that is his almighty power to create. And that's what we see here. Notice, the knowledge of God, 
about us is based upon the fact that he created us. David says, for you created my inmost being, verse things. How, how, can, how can you know me and be there with me? For, verse 13, you created my inmost being. God not only created this world and all things, but the psalmist focus on how David created, how God created us. And throughout these verses, God is portrayed as a master artisan, someone who makes something with his hands. And he made each and every one of us. And notice God here, he doesn't make any junk. Verse 14, I praise you for I am fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. Even in the darkness of our mother's wombs, we were in the hands of God, beloved, and God was personally forming us as our creator. He was forming our minds. He was forming our personality. He was forming our gifts. He was forming our limitations. He was forming our skin color. He was forming our gender. Everything that makes you, you today, is not an accident, but God made personally. We are not self-creators. We don't create ourselves. But David is marveling at the fact that we're made by an all-wise God who is good. Notice, beloved, this psalm, all throughout these verses here, it puts value on human beings, even at the very beginning stages of our life reminding us that what is in the womb of a mother is a person being fearfully and wonderfully created by God. I love what he says here. Your eyes, verse 16, notice this. Your eyes saw my unformed body or unformed substance. Even when we were fetuses, right? Not yet fully developed, God saw us and he gave us purpose and he gave us meaning. Here's a very important truth, beloved. Human value is not based upon any certain level of development or how much we're able to contribute to society or this world. But value is bestowed upon us by our creator, even from the very beginning of our life, that he gives us life and he gives us purpose and he gives us meaning. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. To be a little sensitive here too, beloved, this means that God also saw every miscarried child that never got to see the face, that we never got to see face to face. God saw them. God knew them. And we can be comforted in God's covenant promises and of God's covenant love to be a God to us and to our children, even those children who never got to see the light of day. See, as Christians, as we read a psalm like this, we are reminded about how we celebrate life from the womb all the way to the end because God has bestowed upon us value as those made by his image and made by his hand. You see, beloved, as we read this psalm and how it points to God's love and his care for us, verse 17 and 18, David says, how precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How great is the sum of them. 
If I could count them, they are more than the sand. This is a statement of faith. This is a statement of faith in God's precious care. God, you created us. You set up our lives. You know me through and through. And David is praising God. In verse 18, notice he says, when I awake, I am still with you. Some say maybe the psalmist here is, you know, talking about physically waking up from this dreamlike state or maybe from sleep or slumber. But I think that some commentators are right when they say perhaps this is a reference to life after death. That after we sleep the sleep of death, when we awake from that grave in the resurrection, we will be with God. And if that is the case, then this psalm celebrates God's care for us from the womb all the way to the new creation when God will care for us even after we sleep the sleep of death. And all of this wonderful knowledge causes David to marvel and to praise God. And finally, beloved, as we begin to wind down, it also leads him to petition God for two things. In light of God's omniscience, omnipotence, and omnipresence, David now petitions God for two things in verse 19 through 24. First, he says something that might shock us a little bit. The first thing he says to God is, oh, that you would slay the wicked. This is what we call an imprecatory part of a psalm, a psalm that calls out for judgment against those who do evil. Why is David saying this? What's the connection? Well, after thinking about God's incredible nearness and love, it causes him not to want anything evil in his presence. As one commentator by the name of John Calvin put it, our attachment to godliness must be inwardly defective if it does not generate an abhorrence of sin. In other words, if we know God's love and care personally in our lives, it will lead us in our lives to push away those things that are evil in God's sight. This is what we could even call a righteous hatred for sin. But a few words need to be said about this. If I could quote by one uh, commentator by the name of William Plummer, he provides some helpful caution, direction in how we pray a psalm like this. He says, in our hatred of sin, we should be carefully guard against all malice, all personal enmity, and abhor the characters of the wicked only as they are abhorrent to God. Even our very condemnation of what is evil needs to be tested. Does it spring from the love of God? Does it spring from hatred of sin? Does it spring from a personal attachment to holiness? Or does it spring from ostentation? from a censorious feeling, from a hypocritical pretense, or from a desire to please certain of our fellow creatures. I think these are helpful cautions. But with David, I think the essence of what we could take away here is that we are to pledge our allegiance to King Jesus and seek to follow his ways. And we are actually praying like David here in this psalm whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer and say, Lord, thy kingdom come. Because when we're praying, God, your kingdom come, we're asking Jesus to reign supreme on earth. And part of what that means is Jesus ruling over his enemies and doing away with all of the evils of this world. But notice, David doesn't just look out there 
and say, Lord, do away with the evil out there. But the last thing he petitions God for is to do away with the evil here in his own heart. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Beloved, this verse is not a challenge to God. He's not saying, come and see if there's anything wrong with me. I think I'm pretty good. No, this is a, this is a humble prayer. Lord, search out the evil that's still in me. Lead me on right paths. For David, he has no holier-than-thou attitude towards the world around him, but he invites God to do heart surgery on him. Lord, come into my life with your scalpel and cut away the evil that's still there in me, Lord, the wickedness that keeps me from following Jesus Christ. And beloved, we can welcome that. We can welcome God's scrutiny to come into our lives and to expose those things. We don't have to hide in shame anymore because God has given to us his son and we are clothed in his righteousness by faith. We are accepted in the beloved. And so we can say with confidence, God, search me and try me. Beloved, God knows us and he loves us with a covenant love. This is what David has been saying. A love displayed and secured in the work of Jesus Christ. This psalm speaks of God's intimate knowledge, his presence, and his creation of us. I love this quote. In the words of William Brown, in short, he says, this psalm is a celebration of God's invasion of our privacy. We vigorously guard ourselves against divulging too much. We entrust ourselves to no one but ourselves. Each home is an enclave, each self an island. Yet, despite our strenuous efforts to the contrary, there is someone who will always intrude, not like some unwanted guest, but as judge, advocate, friend, and savior, one who knows us better than we know ourselves, and one who claims us in compassion. Therefore, beloved, because we are known and loved by God, may we give ourselves to him in worship and in prayer, asking him to search us, to shape us, to refine us, and to lead us in the way everlasting. Amen. Let's pray. Indeed, our God in heaven, we marvel at who you are. Lord, we're creatures. We're limited in our knowledge. We could only be at one place at one time. And Lord, we don't know all things, and we didn't create ourselves. But you're the God who knows all things. You are everywhere present. And Lord, you can do all your holy will. Thank you for knowing us better than we know ourselves. And thank you for claiming us in compassion through the work of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, continue as a church and as individuals, continue to search us and to try us, to cut away the wickedness that is in us and to cultivate the fruit that would bring you glory. And we thank you, O Lord, that we can go through even this painful process at times with a confidence that we are already loved and already accepted because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we praise you. We thank you for your goodness. 
We thank you for the thoughts that you have towards us. And we pray, Father, that these things would be soaking down into our hearts this morning, that with David we might praise the God who has made us. Hear us, O Lord, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.